And once I realized, oh my gosh, I spent the money on the wrong type of branding, butterflies and swirls, it totally wasn't me. I paid a lot of money for that website. I paid a lot of money for that logo. If I'd started by investing in myself, I would have had the right stuff first. And people spend tens of thousands of dollars just getting going. If they just invested in themselves, in their own personal development, to really have them show up confidently, show up doing the right things, the right strategies, the right systems and processes, they'd be a lot further ahead. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. One of the questions I have for you is, are you living your values? In fact, do you even know what your core behavioral values are? We talk about it in today's show with uh, Diane Rolston. And Diane had a turning point in her life where she, it, she was very good at what she was doing, but she realized that her core value of challenge was no longer being met and that she needed a shift, otherwise she was just dying on the vine. And so the question I have for the listeners today, and one of our expertise as this show is sponsored by CRG, is really to help create clarity and self-awareness as individuals. And one of our most popular tools and e-courses is our Values Preference Indicator, which is also an e-course, What Do You Really Value? My encouragement is if you haven't already completed it or you know somebody that's looking for, can I figure it out? And I said, absolutely. Is that first of all, I need to know my values. And second, am I taking the action steps and do I have the environment or do I have the life that reflect the support of those values? And we cover all of that in the course. So thank you as always for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share, subscribe. Uh, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're on. Let other people know. If you know of other individuals who would be an amazing guest that met, uh, you meet our profile as far as the secrets of success, then please do communicate with us, and we love to hear from you on that. So here's today's show with Diane Ralston. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I have the pleasure of having a fellow Canadian Association professional speakers colleague on the line today. She's involved with the chapter. She's a board director, but very, very successful in helping other people to realize their potential and to realize their success in life or their purpose. So welcome, Diane Rolston. Diane, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, you're a fellow podcast host as well, so you're just going <laughs> to rock it today, right? Easy, peasy, have a conversation, serve the listeners, and just go for it, right? Yeah, yeah well, it, it's not even about being a podcaster. It's, I think, just being a, uh, a someone who has loved to speak from an early age. Now, how does your family feel about that? <laughs> well, I, I actually remember very clearly uh, my mom in the kitchen. I was probably yammering on about something, and she flipped flicked her her tea towel over her shoulder, put her hands on her waist, and said, "Oh, Diane, if you can get paid to speak one day, you'll be a rich woman." And mm. at the time, I thought that was a really great compliment. And now, being a mother myself and being older and wiser, I I get that she was frustrated probably and put a little dig in there to make herself feel better. 
right. Oh, please, could you just be quiet for a moment? So exactly. I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your energy and what you're going to bring to the show. So one of the things we like to do, Diane, is get to know the guests and their story and their background. And, of course, as a professional speaker, you really help people with this concept of mess to success. So let's kind of dial back. And first of all, for listeners, it's one of the few occasions I just actually did a podcast recording with an individual in Hungary. I'm in Vancouver and you're in Vancouver. Well, technically yeah. North Vancouver. So here we are. We're not that far apart, probably in 58 minutes could drive to each other's homes. Uh, and yet we're able to do this virtually. So thanks again for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. So, uh, Diane, what's the story about where you were born and grew up and just kind of the, your heritage? Yeah, so I actually grew up in, in Brantford, Ontario, in Canada, um, home of Wayne Gretzky. kind of wish that we were famous for a little bit more than that based on his retirement and everything. Um, but I was born to an immigrant family. They immigrated from England, blue-collar workers, had two older brothers, um, and the crazy thing, I, I was actually had three older brothers, but the first one passed away. And, and with my mm. parents wanting three children and me being the fourth, I, I already feel like my life has been a complete blessing. And I grew up with, you know, the those concepts or limiting beliefs, as I now know, of money doesn't grow on trees and mm. buy what you need. Cause what did your parents do, by the way, Diane? My dad was a boilermaker. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came over to Canada from England in order to have better job opportunities. And my mom was a waitress. So she used to be a secretary, but then took time off to, to raise us, as you do in those times. And, uh, and so my mom came over with my, my dad later after he had come over. She was actually proposed to in a letter. So <laughs> kind of a, a cool story there with them. So uh, yesterday's FaceTime. Uh, I guess so. Well, there was there was a postage strike that happened, and he was in Canada, my mom was in England, and she was like, basically, uh, you know, WTH, uh, I don't know what's going on with him, and he just left, and so he wasn't receiving any letters from her, and she was he was wondering what's going on with her, and so his next letter, as soon as the postage strike was over, it was, will you marry me, and she was reading it on the train going to her ballet class, because she was a ballet instructor in, in England, and uh, trying to contain yourself on the subway while you're reading that letter. And so her mother knew, like, her mom was excited for her, but also knew that this would take her away from her, from England. Mm -hmm. And so it's yeah. funny, now in Vancouver, I've actually done the same to my family, being, in, uh, being that I've moved not, not to a whole different country, but across the country. Right. And for those of you that don't know geography, I mean, it's a five-hour flight to Toronto from Vancouver, four and a half to five. And yeah. So it is a, a bit of a ways, though uh, airplanes do fly now versus not really that much when our grandparents or parents came across. So that being said, you were mentioning that money doesn't grow on trees. What was going on with the attitude in the family then? Well, my my dad, um, his first father passed away um, due to an illness and and then his mother remarried, and she was an entrepreneur. She was running her own women's clothing boutique, and she also made um, made clothes as well as sold them. And then her second husband passed away, so my dad's second father. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur, female entrepreneur, losing two husbands in those times, my dad mm -hmm. is eight now, um, you can imagine uh, that 
they had you know enough money to send my dad to boarding school, but that was out of necessity because she had her business. And my mom was one of seven children. And so a lot of stories about how, you know, we got citrus fruit in our stockings at Christmas. And um, when there's seven, you, uh, you make sure everyone has enough. Mm-hmm. So that kind of growing up, we always had enough. But that was always kind of drilled into me. So then uh, you get into high school. What was that like? I'm a bit of an overachiever. I, I really like to push myself. So I was, you know, president of students council and captain of this team and that team. Uh, I always played soccer. That's when I started playing rugby as well. Um, and I was always the kid that teachers in elementary school as well, that the teachers sat beside like the bullied kid, the new kid, the ESL kid, the struggling kid, the shy kid, um, because I just had a way of helping them understand whatever the, the lessons were in a different way. Teaching it in a different way, coming at it from a different direction, and also encouraging and being inclusive. So mm-hmm. that's kind of been quite poignant for me now in my career as a coach and a speaker and a trainer to really look back at that time and think, wow, that was that's kind of always been there. That's always mm-hmm. been something that others recognized in me, but it took me a long time to really realize what I had to offer. It's part of your genetic fabric, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's part of my core competencies, or as in the book, The Big Leap, um, my zone of genius. For sure. So after high school, what, where did life take you? Well, it's funny, you know, even growing up in my time where we started with the internet in, in my high school days, I didn't really know what I wanted to be because the, the topics or the career choices were things like the nurse and the teacher and those traditional roles. And I decided, well, probably a teacher because of what I, what I like to do. I like to help people and I like to teach them. And so going to university, I was torn though because I also liked speaking and the only career I saw really in speaking was broadcasting. So mm-hmm. do I want to be a journalist broadcaster? Do I want to do English and be a teacher? And so I did a double honors because I couldn't decide. And actually one of the, I had to take a language course and I ended up taking Japanese. And not that that really pushed me into teaching Japanese or anything, but it did push me even later to go to Japan. And I was there for three years, still kind of pursuing the idea of getting into journalism broadcasting. And also... What were you, what were you doing in Japan? Were you doing ESL? I was, or? I was teaching, yeah. I've always been someone that is like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. And people have been like, really? So in university, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Japan. I like, I like the culture. I like the food. I like the language. So what can I do there? I'm an English major, you know, blonde, blue-eyed Canadian. Uh, We're we're quite coveted there. So it was really easy to to be able to go over and and get work. And it was only supposed to be one year, but that just wasn't enough to really get immersed in it Mm -hmm. and see it all. So I ended up being there for three years. You know, when you think about your heritage from your family point of view, and then just to pick up and move halfway across the world into a new culture, What are some of the sort of things that were going through your mind at that time? Because I suspect a lot of people around you said, are you kidding me? Are you going to do it? And they would not have the courage to do it. Where did you get that from? That courage? Uh, Well, when I was younger, it's funny. My my mom always, like one of the greatest gifts she ever gave me was her belief in me. And it wasn't until uh, getting into coaching that I realized that was also a bit of a curse. 
So her belief in me made me believe that I could do anything that I set my mind to, which was amazing. And so the idea of going to Japan, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go. And I never really figured out things before I said what I was going to do. I just said it was going to happen and then they happened mm. by, you know, one, one way or another. And it's funny because when I was, when I was flown back into Brantford to do a talk for a women's international day, which it's, it's, you know, quite an honor to come back to your hometown, to be featured in the newspaper. My parents were so proud, clipped that article, you know, and I said to mom, well, this is an opportunity for you to come see me speak. And she was like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And I was like, no, you, like, I can get you a ticket. Like, I'm the, the main speaker here. I can do that. No, no, no. I said, why? And she goes, oh, I'll be so scared to watch you speak. I was like, but mom, like, I do this as part of my, my career. And she says, oh, yes, I've, I've never known how you've been able to do it. And I said, what are you talking about? You always told me you can do it. I believe in you. And she said, yeah, I'd say it, but then I would have no clue how you actually did it. Yeah. It was quite funny how even if you don't believe in the person, like if you don't believe in yourself but you believe in others, the crazy things that they can do. And that's kind of what I now do for my clients is that ultimate belief because I probably wouldn't have done half the things that I did. I was just in that place of, well, mom said I can probably do this. Mom said I can do it. Mom believes in me. And so that pushed me to, to do more. Mm. Well, it does heed the importance of our language and the importance of what we say to people. Because I've had many guests on the show where the opposite has been true. Yes. Diane, you're never going to amount to anything. Yep. I can't believe you even thinking about that. A speaker and a woman in your age, are you kidding? We don't do that. So yep. just all these biases that uh, hinder people or block people. And, and, of course, the reason they're a guest on the show is they've overcome some of that kind of stuff. So you go to Japan. You're kind of hanging out. How old are you at that time? Uh, so I was there from, what, like 21 to 24. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So then what happened after that? Well, you, you come back to a small town where the small town has the highest per capita teen pregnancy rate, highest per capita grossing beer store. Um, and you can just imagine what the city is like. It's actually a fabulous place to, to grow a family and to raise a family and to live there. I loved my childhood. But coming back, it's like all my friends are getting married, buying houses, settling down. Mm -hmm. And here's this spinster um, where I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to the rugby club and hang out and play again. And so I'm hanging out with younger people. I become kind of the team mom, taking care of everybody. And, you know, when we go out after rugby, if you know much about rugby, a lot mm -hmm. of socializing. And I met a guy. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I do, not, I do not date rugby players. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm a New Zealand rugby player. We're different. Of course. Like, okay, I'll date you. And... Uh, Long story short, after dating him for a while, he says, I want to move to BC. And I said, well, don't ask me tomorrow because uh, I'll say no, but do you see yourself marrying me one day? Because at that point, I was 26 and he was 23. And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, I give you five years. I give you five years in BC and do not bring me to some small town where I can't do any work. Got to bring me to a bigger city. And he said, okay, how about Vancouver? And I said, okay, let's go. So we packed up his uh, Toyota Corolla with our camping gear because we were going to see Canada. 
and his electrical tools and my teaching books and shrink wrapped all of our clothes so that they could fit in the car and we drove across and we arrived in Vancouver with no place to live, no jobs, no friends and just made it work. Wow. And what's his profession? He's an electrician. So when you said electrical tools, I was just guessing that. Yeah. Cool. So uh, you arrive, no plans. How did you said? Of course, it worked out. That's the short version. That is the short version. <laughs> <laughs> that's the very short version. Yeah, that's a very short version. So take us through that first couple of days, and then we'll kind of move on from well, there. But yeah, I mean, well, did you sleep in your car? Or what did you do? Oh, I was scared we were going to have to. We were supposed to land here, and by land here, you know, I mean like arrive here. It's not like we came over at the maiden voyage or something. Uh, but we were supposed to arrive and stay with a varsity rugby friend of mine, stay at her place just until we could, you know, for a couple of nights until we just figured out uh, the lay of the land here. And at the time, we didn't even have cell phones. So we pulled into a, a parking lot in Abbotsford, which is about an, you know, an hour or so outside of... It's where I live, so you oh. it could have been, been my phone probably. Yeah, well... Well, maybe. And so we jump on the payphone and I call her. And at the same time, um, the guy I was with, he starts chatting with some guy that pulls up in a work truck. And so as I'm on the phone, she says, I'm so sorry, but my in-laws surprised us at our house. They flew in to see us and we've got no room for you. Kind of like there's no room at the inn. And I'm like, mm. great, where are we going to go? And I get off the phone and I go to tell him and he goes, I just got a job opportunity. So the trades were just in such trouble and they saw the plates and they saw a guy and the guy runs a construction company and said, great, you're an electrician, come work for me. And so before we even like got a place to, to sleep, he's already lining up jobs. We didn't take that one. And, and we did actually stay one night in the UBC campus because we were trying to figure out where to stay and, you know, we were trying to keep our money, um, really be be mindful of our money because I did just spend eight months traveling around New Zealand and Australia and back to Japan. So I kind of had my last hurrah. And with that, we, uh, you know, we just had to find a place to live, find an apartment. We actually stayed above a shop for a week or two weeks uh, in the east east van, kind of further towards the bridge, though, which is not mm. kind of downtown east side area. But that was many unique experiences when we first got here trying to figure it out. And, and actually, it's a little bit like some of my immigrant friends have, have probably had to face and just getting here and then going, like, where do we stay and where do we get jobs? Mm. Obviously, we had much more advantages, but... Yeah, he got picked up really quickly and I went into ESL and I had many job offers and, and I picked a really great one and we were both working on the North Shore. So we found an apartment on the North Shore. Pretty, cool. pretty and what, what was driving his desire to come to BC? I sort of have a bias <laughs> in my mind. Why? Because we so much connect with people from New Zealand and Australia. So wh why BC? Yeah, well, I I grew up in Ontario. I love Ontario, Lake Country, you know, so many benefits to it. And then he says to me one day, man, I just, I hate flat Terrio. Mm -hmm. So growing up in New Zealand, he's used to the mountains. He's used to the water being so close. He's a mountain biker and a snowboarder. So, oh, well, there you, go. you know, 
they call what Whistler little little Australia, don't mm-hmm. they? Um, yes, they do. and, and so he was very familiar with this part of Canada, but because he came over to Canada with his parents, they made the decision of where they were going to live. And so he now was making his own decision as an adult of where he wanted to be. And so I gave him that five-year time frame because my parents were older than their, or are older than his. I have, at the time, my grandma was in her late 90s, um, and my brothers were, you know, getting with together with people and having children and all that, and, and so I wanted to be around for that. Mm, cool, cool. So, obviously, uh, married now, a couple of kids that we talked about before we got on the show that yeah. are uh, home and disturbing you at the moment, so um, <laughs> but you love them <laughs> nevertheless. Less. Now, with yeah. that, Diane, when did the transition occur and how did it occur into this profession? Yeah, well, I, I loved what I was doing. I, I loved teaching. I loved training. I was hiring um, the new teachers. I was building curriculum. It was also run, this school was also run as a, as a private business. So there was a lot of kind of the business side of it. And I really enjoyed all of that, even putting books together, programs together, and it was like I was starting to feel a bit empty, and I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder if it's just that I'm getting older, I'm feeling tired, I'm coming home at night and reaching for the wine a bit too often, making myself nachos and I'm an ice cream, and I was like, what's going on? And I thought, well, something maybe is wrong with me getting, because at the time we were engaged, I thought maybe something's wrong with my engagement. Um, but the truth is that I wasn't happy where I was. So I wasn't totally using all of my skills, talents, abilities, and I definitely wasn't honoring all of my values in the work I was doing. And it wasn't until a friend of mine that worked with me looked at me and said, Diane, what is going on? You've lost your spark. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh man, you can see that? So I thought I was really pulling a wool over everybody's eyes showing up all happy and perky as my normal disposition and I just kept it going and I couldn't figure out what was wrong and then I tore my ACL playing rugby and then I couldn't even work out to get rid of any stress or to feel better or to get away and so I ended up postponing my wedding I had ACL reconstruction I'm at work in a wheelchair after it just it was a a bad place and I I, it was funny because it would be like a bad plot line to a movie. There I am on my computer Googling on Craigslist or searching on Craigslist for a free life coach because we were saving up for a house and we were saving up for a wedding that maybe or maybe would not happen. And mm-hmm. wouldn't you believe that one hour before someone posted offering four months of free coaching. So my fingers just flew on that keyboard and I just told her my whole story and where I was at. And thankfully, she picked me as one of her few people that she was going to coach. And then in coaching together, I realized, oh, my gosh, my values are not aligned. That's the problem. So wedding was back on because I was trying to make just my relationship bring me all the happiness in the world. And it doesn't happen that way, right? There's eight to ten areas of life, depending how you look at it. And I was realizing that I was trying to put all of all of my happiness, trying to pull it all from my relationship and, and that wasn't serving me and then I was being depleted at work. So anyway, so one day I said to her, oh my gosh, I think I want to be a coach. And she was like, finally, 
finally, you're telling me this. I was like, did you know? She's like, yes, I've seen it in you forever, but I wanted you to figure it out yourself. So I realized, wow, that is the power of coaching. And so there I was on a Tuesday calling up the school that she went to to find out how to enroll and all that stuff. And they said, well, the next enrollment's for Friday. And I said, well, I, I'm not allowed to take any time off of work. And they said, well, the next one doesn't start for another three, four months. And I said, sign me up. So I called in sick on the Friday and just never, never looked back. I took all my training. I was honest with my employment and said, you know, I want to do this coaching certification. And they, they backed it. They said, that's fine. And, and they allowed me the time off that I needed. And so there I was, married, pregnant, and I actually was certified just three weeks before my first child was born. It's a bit of a wild time. I don't mm. actually recommend trying to really launch a business and have a baby at the same time, uh, really? but it worked for me. You, you think that's an issue, is it? Well, it, it, worked, for, it worked for me, um, you know, but then I also attempted to write a, a book in 90 days. So I think I, I just love challenge. And people kept saying to me, oh, Diane, you're not going to be able to do your business. You've, you, you've got a child to take care of. I'm like, yeah, but I'm also not working a nine to five. Now, did you uh, just sort of take Matt leave from ESL or did you leave them completely? I did. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really good idea um, to take that option, right? To have that parachute, the backup parachute if you need it. So mm -hmm. I did take a Matt leave. And I thought, hmm, do I go back? Do I not go back? Well, I have an option. And so I just worked really well that, that year, and, and I didn't have to go back. Ended up going back for a little bit to help them out to kind of get to the next step. Um, and then I moved on because mm -hmm. the business was doing really well, had a lot of clients and getting a lot of speaking engagements. And I thought I just – and I, obviously I have the child. And I'm like, I just – I don't have time to bring back a, a nine-to-five job anymore well i just want to i want to scroll back because just a, a few minutes ago you said something about my values were not aligned mm. and um so we kind of just glazed over that and because one of our expertise is you know our we have a values assessment and living in alignment ah. with it, what, what were the values that were not sort of fitting for you that started to create this consternation in you well it's one one word i've already mentioned and it's called challenge one of my values was challenge and I get bored very easily and I have to continuously be challenged and that became apparent for me that it was not being honored in my work anymore when rugby was taken out. So in mm -hmm. rugby it was always like, oh, can I tackle that girl? Can we come back from losing? Can I kick it through the posts? Can I score this try? It was always that challenge, that feeling that it... Remind it, me to be oh. nice when I see you in person again because... I obviously going to get beat up. <laughs> I'm a retired rugby player, but I didn't retire by choice. Okay. Um, but I still play soccer, and I have to remind myself it is not rugby; it's mm -hmm. just soccer. Chill out. Mm -hmm. The challenge was one of the big, big values, and uh, trailblazer as well. So, trailblazer as a value for me came from the value of of leader. But I don't like the word leader for myself because I feel like leaders have followers and leaders are standing up kind of up on their pedestal saying, come on, everyone, follow me. Uh, where I feel like a trailblazer is really someone who's burning down that trail with the idea that other people are coming. And right. so making it easier for them, and that goes back to how I was when I was sat beside 
that new kid or struggling kid. Mm. And so it now, made sense for me. You you mentioned something just cursory a, a moment ago. It said, well, I, you know, I've wrapped up my job and all of a sudden my business is doing well. well hang on. There's a, lot of people <laughs> who get, there's a lot of people who get into coaching and they're starving. Um, so yeah. so yeah. you finished your coaching, you have a baby. Yeah. Now, how do you ramp up your business and start getting engagement? Like, how did you even find clients? Well, actually, I, I was looking for clients within the first 24 hours of my first program or my like me being coached as to how to be a coach. Uh, I did a, a challenge right away. I put myself in this challenge where I had to do 30 sample sessions in 30 days. And another master coach did it. And I decided, well, I'm going to beat her. I'm going to do 32. I'm a little competitive, having yeah, older brothers and being in sports. And so I ended up doing that. And the, there's a difference here between um, the types of goals that I set in the beginning. So I didn't set a results-based goal, which was like my goal is to get 30 people to have me as their coach. It was like my goal is a process goal. My goal is to just do these sample sessions so I get good at it. Where I find a lot of people put that pressure on themselves to have these really big results-based goals, but they don't even know how to do the process yet. Mm-hmm. And they get discouraged mm-hmm. because they're, they're learning the process, but they're trying to have a results-based goal on a process that's potentially terrible. Also, I, I learned there's a bunch of myths that I, I like to teach. So maybe I can go through a few of them. Let's do it. Um, uh, so myth number one is if you want to reach your goals, you need to change yourself. I learned that the hard way. In the beginning, I tried to be this professional business owner, you know, as I thought everyone needed to be. And I was like, no, I'm quirky and I'm funny and I'm also like kicking the butt and I, I'm heart, heart-centered. heart I'm all these things. I you're funny? You said you were funny? Uh, I try. Uh, okay, sorry. Anyways, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I apologize, <laughs> listeners. That was really corny. It was picking on Diane. It I wasn't try. deserved, but I said, okay, no, that's good. What? So, yeah, so that, that is actually contrary to a lot of teaching out there. Yeah, I don't feel you have to change yourself. You need to be your unique self. You need to change your actions. So that's the key thing. I needed to change my actions. So I could show up as me, but maybe I needed to sh- uh, change how I introduced myself. I could show up as me, but maybe I needed to change the content I was teaching. I could show up as me, but maybe I needed to, to change the title of the speech I was trying to sell that maybe wasn't getting sold. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of the tweaks come in, and that's a lot of the work that I do now with my clients is tweaking the things they're doing, not who they're being. Now, that's not to say that if you're a jerk and you're greedy and all that, you shouldn't change that. Definitely, you should change all the negative pieces of you. But if you can focus on the actions, you have more control over those a lot of times. And too many people feel that they're not enough. That is the number one limiting belief. It's been researched by Brene Brown. Um, I did my own non-official research just in my Dynamic Year program when we do guidelines and we find out what their biggest limiting belief is so that they can get a new paradigm. That's what I found. Brene Brown's research just backed it up. So I don't want to tell people they're wrong. I don't want to tell people who they are is wrong. I want to build them up. And that's what I always did when I was sitting beside that kid in class, building them up. That's what my mom was doing in me, believing in me, building me up. Mm-hmm. Because eventually your actions will help you to develop the skills of who you truly want to be. 
So it's not that you have to change it. Maybe you turn up the volume on the different qualities that you have. So in my book, uh, Dynamic You, The Nine Pillars of Being a Dynamic Woman, people come to me and say, well, I'm not dynamic. I'm not a dynamic woman. Or they think, okay, I, I want to become this. I'm like, you already are. That's the problem. You don't realize you're dynamic. We just need to turn up the volume on that. We need to unleash that. So it's one of the biggest myths that I had to realize. I didn't have to change myself. I could, I could be a rugby player wearing a dress. Like, it's fine. Just go with it. So what's number yeah. two? Number two. In the beginning, when you start a business, you think, okay, I've got to... I've got to buy the website and I've got to get business cards and I have to get all this stuff because the myth is spend only on material things because you can't make back easily what you invest on yourself. That's such a myth. If you invest in you, you will get a better ROI, return on investment. Why? Because the stuff that I learned in being a coach is now being applied to being a speaker. The things I learned about doing books, writing books and, and publishing books is helping me in my women's community. So I can take these skills and they're transferable into other areas. I'll tell you, I bought a very expensive designed from scratch website. And once I realized, oh my gosh, I spent the money on the wrong type of branding, it was all like butterflies and swirls. It totally wasn't me. Mm. But... I paid a lot of money for that website. I paid a lot of money for that logo. If I had started by investing in myself, I would have had the right stuff first. And people, you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars just getting going. But they just invested in themselves, in their own personal development, to really have them show up confidently, show up doing the right things, the right strategies, the right systems and processes. They'd be a lot further ahead. Interesting, Diane, in our three-day certification on our tools, I, I make a statement, our ability to serve others is equal to or less than our own development. Hmm, and so that's true. really what, you are, what you're talking about, and I, I, yeah. I, couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more. So uh, give us a, another myth. Yeah, another myth is things are going to be easy when you land a few great clients or a few great customers. Explain. That's that's false. <laughs> because once I landed a few clients, I was like, oh my, what do, now what do I, like I know what to do in the session with them, but how, what emails do I send them and, and what, what kind of packages, what agreements do I have? I don't know. How do I get them to renew? I don't know how to do all that. So the key thing is systems and processes. Mm. People think, oh, well, I only have a couple clients. I don't really need systems and processes. You do, and now's the time to do it. Because in doing it now, when you do get really busy and you have more opportunities, more clients to serve, you'll already have all your systems and processes in place and you'll just be able to tweak them. This was very evident in a client of mine. She did her coaching certification, same as what I did um, just years later. And in her going to do her kind of the sample sessions like I did, she was struggling. She, you know, she grabbed a couple of clients and, and thought, okay, good, I'm, I'm going to work with these guys. And same thing happened to her with what's my systems, what's my processes. But in a way of her verbiage was, what do I send them? What, what do I send them before a session? How do I like kind of wrap up a session? Because a lot of times, like the EMF uh, states, mm -hmm. we're technicians. 
we're good at our craft, but we don't know how to run this as a business. So I guess this myth could also be said as things will be easy once you like run your, um, or the truth would be things will be easy when you can use your talent and really formulate it in a proper business. Interesting. I was just thinking about the myth and that I had met Michael Gerber oh, awesome. personally in 1991-ish oh. in, in Vancouver when he was speaking there on behalf of KPMG. So, wow. uh, yes. So that's work on your business, not in your business. Yeah. And yeah, Michael's book continues to be an anchor or foundation out there for us setting up systems. Even So if I'm a sole practitioner or just a small business, are you suggesting, Diane, that I still need to do this? Of course. Yeah. Anything that you repeat more than once, right, just do something you do twice, you should make a system. You have a really great system, Ken, in, in getting people onto your podcast and then in the, in the pre-show and then the, during the show and the post-show. I'm sure you have a system for each piece of this. Mm. And, and so this one client of mine, you know, she was like, uh, later on, she's like, I'm just not getting any new clients doing these sample sessions. I'm like, did you follow the process I gave you? And she was like, well, no, I kind of felt like I should have my own. And I'm like, I gave you permission to use my process. Why don't you use it? And so eventually, uh, a few weeks later, I get this text that says, Diane, I have eight new clients. I said, what happened? She said, I followed your process. <laughs> I'm like, well, duh, there you go. <laughs> hello, so, hello. And, and, you know, I think people try to struggle for their own uniqueness. It goes back to, you know, am I enough? And it was interesting. I, I want to mention this, Diane, because yeah. I want to bring this into the podcast. I had, um, you know, I get people who reach out who want to be on this podcast on yours as well that you host. Yeah. And they were complaining about my system. And it was <laughs> interesting because we didn't have a guest form when we started this show, you know, over four years ago. And then we said, then I was missing things and where's their profile picture and where's the details for this and where's the website. So we said, no, no, we're going to put a guest form together, formalize it, tweak it, update it. Then we're going to have the auto calendar system so that they get all the information yep. to log on to the system to do uh, the interview. But now I'm getting, you know, where some people say, well, I don't want to fill out your form. It takes 20 minutes. And I said, well, we or 15 minutes help. or 10 minutes. But everything <laughs> we need to produce the show is there. Yeah. And the social media team and everything like that. So uh, as Doug Sandler would say, next and it was interesting how yeah. people were just pushing back on the system. They just said, no, just book me for an interview. I'm a great guest. And I said, hang on. No, no, no. Follow the process. Follow the system. Yeah. And it has made it way better to, and we even had to go in and put required fields because people wouldn't fill it out. And then yeah. we said, no, if you don't fill this out, then the form won't submit. And that's yeah. how far we had to go in our system to keep it consistent and then have all the things that I need to be able to produce, or the team needs to produce a, a show. Exactly. And I'm sure you do it as well. Yeah. And in the example I gave with this client of mine, you know, it did bring her clients to follow the process. It made her more confident. Um, so it's not just the money piece. It's the confidence. It's the saving the time. It's the mm. um, not having to keep everything in your brain, especially I had, uh, so my kids are now five and eight. So I had a second child while, so I had a three-year-old and a, and a newborn and I was still running my business. I had dynamic women location, I had eight different dynamic women locations in eight different cities. And I'm still running a full coaching practice and still speaking and I'm doing all this stuff. And people said, Diane, how do you do it all? 
like I have systems and processes. Why? Because sometimes like I forget, not sometimes, a lot of times I was forgetting stuff mm. and you can blame it on the mummy brain. But the, the key thing is when people get busy, when they have more success, there's more stuff going on. And I didn't want to, if you think of the idea of like dropping balls when you juggle, I didn't want to drop the glass balls. Mm-hmm. So if I was to drop, you know, watching one of my favorite shows, oh, well, whatever. If I was to drop not folding laundry, whatever. If I was to drop the glass ball of showing up for a client call, that's huge. And so the systems and processes really helps to have that all in place so that you can take it out of your brain. It's kind of like on a computer when a computer has like 10 different applications open or on your web um, browser, you've got 10 tabs open. Your brain can't function with all of these open. You'll get the spinning ball and eventually you'll drop the wrong one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we only have a few minutes left, if you yeah. can believe that already, Diane. And before we get into maybe a couple more myths before we wrap up, yeah. how can people find out about what you do and, and get your book? Yeah. Well, they can go to www.dianerolston.com. And if you want to grab the ebook called Key to Success, which is perfectly in line with this podcast. Of course. Uh, I'm, sorry, what's that? It says, of course, it's in line with the yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can go to uh, a really easy way is to go to the dianerolston.com forward slash free gift. Uh, and you'll probably find other free gifts in there because I like to be generous and, and give you some other, other ideas in there to really move your life and business forward. So I'm not just a business coach. I'm a life coach as well because I really feel like the balance is needed, uh, especially in my life with these two kids that I have and no family around me to support um, our our you know, raising these children, it's, it's really crucial to have it all balanced. So in that ebook, I talk about the three dangerous trends that um, business owners or professionals face that keep them overwhelmed, overworked, and pulled in a million directions. And I give all the solutions to those as well. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And then we'll make sure that's all in the show notes so that people can find out uh, more about you, Diane, and in your work and how okay. you serve people. So yeah. what, what are a couple of more um, myths that really are you know, sage pieces of wisdom from you and all the work that you've done that can help our listeners go to the next level, personally or professionally? Well, I, I love when I'm online with something and someone says, just Google it. Just go to YouTube, watch a video. You know how overwhelming that is? There's millions of videos. And who do you know who to trust, right? So I have what I've come up with, the Kate method, because you can't just do it all yourself, and you can't just go to Google, right? You need support of others. So I I took the Kate method, and it's Kate with a C, C C-A-T-E, and I kind of jokingly did this because my assistant's name is Kate with a K. Uh, So the C is for cheerleaders. You need people around you that will cheer you on, will believe in your goals just as much as you do, if not more, and that when you're having a bad day, they'll pick you up, right? Mm. They'll be like, no, you can do this. And that's just what my mother did for me and what I now do for my clients. A is accountability. You really need to be accountable for your own goals because we're so easily um, swayed into being reactive into what's happening in life and we'll put other people's agendas first. So we, we need to have someone that's going to keep you accountable for that. And T is teammates. Things are so much more fun in collaboration. And if you're like, well, I'm an introvert and I, I do well with things independently or whatever, it doesn't mean you have to be a partner with someone on something, but affiliates and joint ventures and even Ken and you interviewing me today, 
Mm-hmm. We're a little team here putting together a great podcast for your listeners. So having teammates, they'll get you ahead faster, right? Absolutely. When you uh, when you're able to help others and others will help you, and it's just a great synergy there. I like to think of it as the geese flying in a V. You can fly by yourself, but it's so much easier to fly with others. Mm-hmm. And the E is experts. Really hire the right people at the right time to get you forward so that you're not like my client who struggled getting more clients herself so that they can be like, here's my process. Here's how I did this. I'm sure, Ken, if someone interviewed you about how to do a good podcast, that they'd be much further ahead, much faster with less money spent because they've got your expertise. So that, that tape method, don't be, do it yourself. <laughs> it's a lot harder. Use the synergy and, and use the tape method. Absolutely. Uh, and I agree with all those. And thank you, Diane, for, um, you know, working with us. People don't know at the other end of this show that we had some technical difficulties. Yeah. And, uh, you know, welcome to the online world. But I appreciate yeah. your flexibility and just working with it in coming and stepping up to the challenge. I mm-hmm. heard there was some kind of value like that in your life to be able to provide uh, the listeners with some valuable insights today. Diane, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Secrets of Success. Uh, yeah. Stay with us, Diane. Well, thank you, Secrets of Success listeners, for um, you know giving us your most valuable commodity, your time. Take what Diane has talked about and use her story as an encouragement that you are worthy. You are worth it. Every single person listening to this show, you have an element of genius. You have a zone, a purpose, a calling, an assignment, whatever you want to call it, that is important that all of us get connected to. But interesting, not from a self-centered point of view, but from a self-honoring point of view, because when you're in that space, you can contribute at the highest level. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.